statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do then, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the door spots of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your word and for this great fellowship that we have here this morning. All your people all read sung songs to you and prayed. And in this moment that we read your word, speak to us clearly and make us understand your will we pray with gratitude in the name of jesus amen, amen. all of us have some memories of joy in our childhood but moments of sadness also mark us i was always an athletic kid and i was very competitive as some of you i know our football team back in Brazil was very competitive and we won a lot of games and some championships. But what impressed me the most were not the victories, but as a son of divorced parents. It was me looking at the stands and most of the time did not find anybody cheering for me. I remember that sometimes I looked at my friend's team with envy because they always had their parents' supporting them on the stands. And I used to think to myself, how fortunate they are, how happy they are. What a blessing to be part of this family. But in 1996, I was 15 years old and my mother was going through the pain of her second divorce. I was sorrowed by loneliness when by the grace of God I was introduced to the love and care of the Covenant family. I joined the privilege to be part of God's family. The Covenant family is the people God has chosen for himself. In a series of messages for the month of May, we will reflect on this noble family 
and see how, how all its members have great privileges and consider the weight of our responsibilities. This series will be called The Covenant Family and applies to everyone regardless of the stage of life you are in. We're going to see what God has promised for his people. Normally, we think of covenant as agreement between two or more parties. We have covenants in our own culture. The form of government that we have has historically been called a social contract or a social covenant. We institutionalize and consecrate marriages on the basis of covenants. Promise are made, terms are agreed, and so on. When we look to the biblical covenants, we can find some different terms. And the first covenant is the covenant of redemption. It is not a covenant that directly and immediately involves people. It is a theological concept that refers to the harmony and unity of purpose that existed from all eternity in mutual agreement in the relationship with the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to bring forth the work of redemption. But then the Lord decided to create the world. And after creation, he established the covenant of works. In Reformed theology, refers to the initial covenant God makes with Adam and Eve in paradise. Adam is representing not just himself and his wife, but all people. He is Adam. He represents mankind. God created Adam and Eve, and you know, the Lord put them under probation, and they should obey the word of God, and if they obeyed, they could enjoy eternal life, but if they disobeyed, they should face the consequence. We all know what happened. After the disobedience, and because the first Adam failed in the covenant of words, God would have every moral right to do exactly what the terms of the covenant promised. He could have destroyed them and the role his, and that would be the end. But instead, he, con he condescended to cover their nakedness and to promise them redemption through one who would act as their savior. At that point, by grace, God established the covenant of grace. It was given not just to Adam, but also to Abraham, Moses. And throughout the Old Testament, the promise was that God would redeem his people who were guilty according to the covenant of works. He would save his people in another way. So the difference between the covenant in the Old Testament and New Testament is just the way that we approach the covenant of grace. People in the Old Testament, they should look to the future and wait the Redeemer the Lord should bring and by faith and only by faith achieve salvation. Now we look to the past. And we observe the Redeemer, the Lord sent, Jesus Christ. And also, by faith, we can accomplish the salvation. 
When we look specifically to Deuteronomy, we can find the renewal of this covenant made at Sinai between the Lord and His people was to be remembered before the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua and the entry of the Israelites in the Promised Land. If you observe this beautiful book and the last book of Torah, the main story of Deuteronomy is that God, is that of God's covenant with a people He has chosen for Himself, which is called the covenant grace or the covenant family in Deuteronomy. The historical basis for the covenant begin with the covenant promise made to Abraham, Abraham and then continues to the initial stage of the fulfillment of the promise at Sinai. Thus, remember, they stayed 40 years in the desert. It was a different generation. They needed to be remembered of this covenant of love and how greatly the Lord delivered them from slavery. And now remember who was their God, and how they should serve this God. So through this introduction, I'd like to look with you the rights and duties in the covenant family. First, we must recognize that we are in a privilege position. We must recognize that we are privileged to be in this family. And before you claim that I don't know the details of your nuclear or extended family, let me tell you that most of those who were about to possess this much desired inheritance from the Lord were already orphans. The reason for this was not a fatality. You remember what happened. It was a punishment where at least one million people died 40 years. In 40 years, about one-third of God's people. And we can read this in Numbers 14, verses 22 and 23. When the Lord says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my sights that I did in Egypt in the, and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to a test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. Reflect for a moment. How many children and grandchildren were facing the deep sadness and pain for their family backgrounds. One-third of God's people died as a consequence of sin. However, even in the face of family pain, Israel continued to be privileged as it was the direct object of the redeeming love of the Lord. Before all nations which were equally sinful, the Lord chose these people to call His, His children, as the Lord mentioned, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So when we observe chapter 6 and take a look to the first three verses, Moses, we are introduced to the Moses speech along the first and great commandment to love. 
He stood in the presence of the Lord to receive the law and to receive the Shema. And then after that, he went before the people and stood before the people and gave the law of God and how they should behave in this covenant. Moses' teaching of the law was a lifetime of fear or reverence of the Lord his God. Evidence of this reverence would be seen in the Israelites' obedience of the God's law and its fruit would be lifelong. Therefore, the people were ordained to obey that they might find the prosperity in the land promised by the Lord and the God of their father. The land flowing with milk and honey. This phrase occurs several times in this book. But specifically in verse 4, we find the Shema, or the fundamental monotheistic dogma of the Old Testament. When we observe the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Had the Israelites already discovered the practical implications when they celebrated the Exodus? In this song, in Exodus 15, O Lord, who is like you among the gods? A rhetorical question that requires a rhetorical answer. We observe there are no gods like the Lord. In the Exodus, the Israelites discovered the uniqueness of their God. And the fact that the Egyptians' God could do nothing to prevent the Lord's people from leaving Egypt. It was precisely because they had experienced the living presence of their God in history through a personal relationship that they could call the Lord our God. It was a personal experience. All the covenant people in the Old Testament, all, not just this generation, but all of them, lived the same reality. But when we look to the New Testament, this covenant of love, manifested by choosing one people to represent the glory of God like the Israelites, was fully revealed. The God's purpose was fully revealed. Through the incarnation, suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Through whom we receive sonship, as Paul says to Romans, to the Romans in chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So we observe in the New Covenant that it was not restricted to the Israelites. The Lord is spread throughout the world. From Christ, the descendant of Abraham, all the ethnic families 
of the earth began through faith in the sacrifice of Christ to taste the covenant blessings. And this is very important for us as Presbyterians. Some believers or some historical Christians, uh, they believe the blessings through Christ are for individuals, not for families. But besides the Lord having stated through Moses that this covenant would be perpetual with the children of Israel and their descendants, the new covenant that Jesus speaks of the institution of the supper when he declares, this is the cup of new covenant in my blood shed for you. The word new covenant can be stated or new in two different words in Greek. The first is neos, and the other word is kainos. Kainos means new in the sense of renewed. Neos is new in the sense of newborn or totally new. Every time the word new covenant is used in the New Testament, is used the word kainos. So it's the renewed covenant. The same covenant with Seth, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus himself are just different stages of the same covenant which would gain its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. For this reason, church, Paul says to the Corinthians believers that even though some of them had unbeliever spouse. They are sanctified in their coexistence. And their children are saints. In other words, they had been separated as children of the covenant. We discover that the privilege that we receive to be part of God's family through the faith in Jesus Christ Bring blessings not just for us, but for our nuclear family and extended family. I'm not saying that the Lord will save every single child of believers. But we can be sure that the Lord always throughout the history made great things in the covenant family, in the lives of the children of godly believers. When I think about this privilege, I look at the last 26 years of my life, and I remember some names, such as Ayr Pereira, José Sobrinho, Larry Henderson, and David Hemrek, all members of the Covenant family, who even in the face of duties of their own nuclear family, decided to invest time in this Fatherless, fatherless, child, teenage, adult, and middle-aged man. And I owe much of what I have become in Christ to the love and investment of these men who mentored me as son. It was a blessing from the covenant family to my life. Observing this first truth. Do not allow the difficult circumstances in your family to rob you of the awareness of who 
your family is in the kingdom of God. No matter the problem or the problems, you are still part of the covenant family. There is a special blessing from the Lord upon your home, your household. Secondly, if you don't have natural children, or your children are already grown and far away, I'm sure that there are some young covenant family or children right here in this church. You should be intentional. Maybe the Lord will use your life to invest in other children or spiritual children. Thirdly, if you're missing a mentoring parent, beyond praying for your parents for their conversion or transformation, start, start intentionally to look for here spiritual parents. If you don't know how to start, go to our pastor. I'm sure he will be very glad to introduce you to the right person and give you the connection that will bring blessings for your life. Fourth, do not cease to pray with hope and faith in the certainty that he who began the good work in our home will perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray that all prodigals, prodigal sons will return to the Lord's presence. We are in the covenant family and we have a great privilege. A second truth that we can find about the covenant family is that the path to success or success in the covenant family passes through relational modeling. Observe again verses 4 and 5. And to begin the second truth, I share the good definition of family Paul Tripp provides. He states, Family is God's first learning community. I'm going to say it again. Family is God's first learning community. This definition is supported by the next verses that we will observe. Deuteronomy 6. As I already mentioned in the verse 4, states the Shema, the fundamental truth of the religion of Israel. There is only one God. But verse 5 states the fundamental duty, the answer that we should give as covenant people. How should we respond serving and being in a relationship with the covenant God? If you observe, the Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This commandment, based on the statement of the preceding, preceding verse, is central to this book. The command to love is central because the entire book is referring to the renewal of the covenant with God. Although the renewal required obedience, Disobedience was not an obligation, but an answer of love from a people who tasted a special relationship with the Lord. The ordainance to love was based on God's preceding love, which had been shown to the Israelites primarily in the Exodus and then in a broader context in their election in Abraham's time. 
And when we look to the covenant of God in the New Testament, we also find several verses showing the unconditional love regarding His people. As Jesus said to His disciples, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Observe in the following verse, the answer of the covenant people or His disciples was the same of the Old Testament. When in the chapter 15 of John, the verse 10, Jesus replies, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. The believer's obedience was not a condition for being part of the covenant family, but it is a natural answer after really receiving a new identity in Christ. They should just love as a spontaneous answer. The Christian's home is the first place where the disciples present their new identity. It is the place where we display the love we say to have in our hearts for the Lord. It is the place where we show our integrity. Larry Stockstill gives a good definition of integrity. Quote, The word integrity itself is derived from the same integer root, meaning an integer, whole being, no part missing. A man's character has to be complete. His thoughts, attitudes, marriage, money, and motivations. Integrity is something that is continuous develop, in continuous development. As children of truth church, disciples build their lives free from hypocrisy. If there are place, if is there a place where our imperfections are known, you can be sure that place is our home. There is no way to pretend there for very long. The Bible makes it clear that we will not achieve perfection in this fallen world, but what the people who live with us need to see is integrity, sincerity, even. When we face our struggles with our failures, and the truth, even when we face mistakes. Regarding these, Paul Trips declares, quote, If we really want to be effective for Christ in the lives of our children, it's important that we be honest about our own idols, the areas we tend to shift from worshipping and serving the Creator to worshipping and serving things made. Certainly, one of the idols that tempted me the most today is rats. About a month ago, while I was exercising at my TV room, with an insanity workout video, I know that some of you know. I just chose a tower to wet my, uh, my sweat, to wipe my sweat, and when one of my 
daughters came and said, I don't believe you are using this tower. And in my view, the way that she addressed me was not appropriate. And I was defeated by the idol of wrath. I looked to her and said, I looked at her and said, this is my house, and I use whatever towel I want to use to wipe my sweat. Immediately, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, You sin, repent. And it was hard to finish my workout, and it, it's intense. Mainly when guilty is in your heart. When I finished, I went to her and said, My beloved, forgive me. I was arrogant in my answer. This is our house, our home. But please, be careful in the way that you speak with your father. <laughs> Some practical considerations. Spend time praying about the areas people around you say you need to change. If they keep saying that you need to change, for sure, there is a certain level of truth. Sometimes they exaggerate, but must be a truth. Pray for that. Secondly, as a... As a representative of God's grace in your home, ask your children for forgiveness when you do wrong. Pray with them. Ask them to pray for your weakness. We will receive much more respect from them when we do so. You are not perfect. None of us. We need to pray for each other. And the first place that we should display the love that we have to the Lord is in our home. Even when we make mistakes, so we spend time praying with them and confessing your sins to each other. The third and last truth that I'd like to share with you this morning is that the covenant family must share intentionality in teaching. Observe the next verses. Reflecting on the commandments, they would be reflecting on God's words and understanding the commandment-led lifestyle. Having understood the commandment, people were responsible for passing them for their children. You will repeat them to your children. The commandments were to be a topic of conversation both indoors and out, from beginning to the end of the day. In short, the commandments should permeate every sphere of human life. The institutions given the verses 8 and 9 emphasize the important role the commandments were to play in our daily lives. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. And you know, some Jews used it to get small boxes and tie in their hairs with Bible verses. It was a way they share about the Word of God intentionally. Day after day, in everyday activities, they should be like that. When we look to the new covenant in Jesus Christ, intentional relationships like the Israelites would have with their children and grandchildren was a reality. 
a strong reality in New Testament. Jesus with the disciples, the disciples with the early church, Barnabas with Paul, Paul with Timothy, and so on, and so on. Pay attention, church. There is no plan B for our relational lives. The Lord established that we could be a sound doctrine church, knowing the words. But you know the reason the catechism were created had the purpose of parents sharing God's truth and biblical truths with our children. We should make this a truth. Making disciples is not just a transfer of ideas. It is also a sharing of God-given knowledge and skills that are capable of transforming any Christian's life, any person's life, no matter how difficult your teenager could become. And you ask to yourself, is this the kid that I loved that much when he was three, four years old? No, no, no. It's not possible to be the same. Yes, it is. But the power of the gospel through the truth in the covenant family, sharing the love that you have for the Lord and sharing how you apply God's truth in your daily life can be a powerful weapon in the Lord's hand through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation to your home. Certainly, this work of building the covenant family it's hard. And we will feel frustrated with one another several times. Before. Maybe you felt this before you come to the church. You were busy and just screaming to each other, go fast, fast, fast. I know this. Don't have just in, in Brazilian families. We are worse than you on that. You can bet it. Am I correct, Pastor? But this is a problem for everyone. But we need to be very careful with the outbusters we make in such moments of stress. For in addition to missing an opportunity to teach by example, we can hurt each other deeply. Most of you know that we spent four blessed months at the Belinsky's house, and we love them so much, and we are so grateful. But after four months looking for, very hardly the Lord provided a house exactly in the district that we should live. And we were so glad. After two, the first evening, Deborah Jack brought dinner. It was wonderful. In the second day, our house was kind of organized and Sonia prepared a wonderful and special dinner for us finally celebrate our home in America. And I had everything prepared and planned in my mind. Words of gratitude from all of us. The kids just expressing their joy. And I speaking about the Lord's faithfulness. However, while we were eating our dinner, some of the kids start talking about what they still needed to organize the room. And the comments began to take on a murmuring tone and grew, grew, grew. And I was deeply frustrated. 
It was not what I had planned. And I exclaimed to them, human beings are insatiable. And they stopped immediately. Okay, few weeks later, few weeks later, Sonia asked the children to organize their bedrooms. After 30 minutes, she went upstairs to check it out. She observed and told them, it's not good enough. You need to organize everything. My beloved daughter, Nicole, she's 11, came downstairs very disappointed and told me, Daddy, you are absolutely right. Human beings are insatiable. <laughs> and went upstairs to finish her work. I, I worked hard in order of to not laugh. But at the same time, I was glad because in her frustration, she learned how to apply biblical truths to interpret the world with biblical lenses. Some practical considerations. Our homes are the first discipleship environment that God gave us. Save in your scheduled time to invest in your family relationships. You work hard, you have many obligations, but your first ministry is the disciples that the Lord put in your household. Be intentional on that. Talk about the truth. Share the truth. Display the truth. Talk about your failures. How do we apply everyday situations when we talk to them? The way we analyze a song, a movie, or a television series. It's a great opportunity to teach them to see and interpret the world with biblical lenses. If we do not do that, internet will. So, spend time on that. Make your children's arguments over who will take the last cookie, about who will use a smart TV first, and the clothes their siblings wore without the permission as opportunities to teach them about forgiveness, unconditional love, and grace. Teach them that they will face these dozens of times when they grow up. It's an opportunity. At the beginning of this message, I just mentioned how much I used to admire some kids who had their parents cheering and supporting them. God is good gave me a wonderful wife 19 years ago and three blessed kids. And we try to fulfill this. And every Friday, we just save a family evening time for get together, eat, play games, and dancing together. You know, Brazilians love music, and we still have some good music. And about a month ago, we were together, and I danced with Sonia, and also danced with the girls, and having fun, and I danced with Azaz. And with a good laugh at that moment, he said to me, Daddy, even though... You didn't have a father, 
You are a great father. Immediately, and even today, the tears came to my eyes. It is undeniable that the pain, all the pain Sonia and I have endured in our childhood, left some scars in our hearts. But by the power of the blood of the new covenant, we can say that our home is a miracle of grace. We are not what we should be yet. But we're working hard to be the covenant family that display the glory of God in this world, loving each other, loving our children. You are also part of the covenant family. You have a different background, but the grace of God is upon you in your home. Pray with hope. There are mighty things the Holy Spirit can make through your life in your home. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. Because as fruit of your unconditional laws that you displayed upon Abraham, Moses, you displayed upon Paul, you also displayed upon our lives from different cultures, nations, realities. We can celebrate this morning the blood of the new covenant that brought not just us as individuals, but our families, our household. So, Lord, renew the hope, renew the joy, renew, Lord, the commitment 